You can turn in your copy of the scriptures to John chapter 1. We'll be, you know, we've been working through the prologue of John uh, chapter 1. Throughout December, we'll be finishing out this series tonight with verses 14 through 18. And um, I have to uh, tell you, when, when Tim outlined this and showed us what the passage would, would be, I, I had to jump on these verses because uh, these verses, particularly verse 18, is uh, very near and dear uh, to my heart, to my, to my story. Um, it was in December of 2007 when, um, when God changed my life, and um, God had, earlier in December, He had uh, just confronted me in a beautiful way in, uh, in telling me that He is Father, that He is my Father, and He calls the shots. I don't tell Him what to do. He is in charge. He is the one that I am to submit to and to obey, and and he inspired some real fear and reverence in, in, in me for him as, as my father, but also um, drew me near in, in gentleness, in kindness, assuring my heart that everything's going to be okay, that I'm going to, as a father, I'm going to protect you, I'm going to provide for you, and I want a relationship with you. I want intimacy with you. I want you to know me as my son. Uh, and to adore me, and to, to, uh, for you to know me as Father. And so uh, that was earlier in December of 2007, and then as I, as I went home for Christmas, I still remember just um, laying in, in the bed one night. I had just started attending this church and, and going to this small group where they were going through, through John and had, had received this fantastic introduction uh, to John from, from the prologue here um, by the one who was leading that Bible study, and and so I was reading through John, just preparing for going back to, uh, to, to Raleigh, where I was living at the time, or to, to the Durham area, and um, just came to verse 18 and, and read this. No one has ever seen God. If you put it up on the screen for us, Shannon. This is how I read it. No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, the one who is at the Father's side, literally in the bosom of the Father. The one who is in the bosom of the Father, he has revealed him. And I just, just thought, wow, God is my Father, and Jesus came to reveal my dad to me. Jesus came to reconcile me to the Father. And so in some ways, um, not to hype it up too much, but this, this message is 13 years in the making. Um, I don't know that I'll, I'll preach it according to its worth, but, um, but this sure has been a good, a good, um, good truth to meditate on. I'll, let's go ahead and read uh, ver- the entirety of the passage, verses 14 through 18. It reads like this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, He has made him known. Let's pray.
Jesus, we see here in this passage that it is your heart to make the Father known. I pray that you would use me in my weakness and that you would make the Father known tonight. That he would be enjoyed and you along with him. It's in your name we pray. Amen. To point number one, we'll go ahead and jump right to it. In recognizing Jesus as the Word of God, John is telling us that Christ is the message that God desires to communicate to us. Be sure you put the in all caps, okay? We're going to, we're going to explain that, but Christ is the message that God desires to communicate to us. These last verses hearken back to the first verses of John chapter 1. Um, you know, where, where, where John wrote this, he says, In the beginning was the Word, was this message, something spoken. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The way I've heard um, pastors John Piper and, and J.D. Greer both explain this, you know, as, as I'm standing up here, who can read my mind? None of you can, right? Not even Christina. We, you, we used to have this running joke that in, in year one of our marriage, we would just assume that one, knew, one another knew what the other was thinking, and we didn't quite get it. So I said, okay, well, maybe in year two, that's when you start to read one another's minds. And, and then that didn't happen. And then so in year two, we thought, maybe it's year three that we'll learn to read one another's minds. And uh, he, even now, I don't know, I'm not sure we've learned because we still... Um, often expect one another to, to know one another's minds, but in year 10, maybe it's year 11 that we'll learn to read one another's minds. But not even Christina. Um, guys, she can't understand unless you speak it to her, okay? And ladies, we don't know what you're thinking unless you tell us, okay? That's your side sermon. That was a bonus. Didn't cost you nothing, okay? Uh, but we, you guys can't know my mind unless I speak to you. And in the same way, you can't See God unless he speaks to us, unless he reveals himself to us. Uh, and so you could read the, the passage like this. In the beginning was this message, and the message was with God. And the message was what? The message is God. God is what God most, what God most longs to communicate to us is himself. That's what God created the world for. As, you know, as it says here, even in verse 3 of John chapter 1, all things were made through him, and without him not, not was, was anything made that was made. All creation, all the Old Testament is leading up to this moment, and Jesus is the fullness of God's message to us. He is the one who most perfectly reveals God to us. And so we come here to verse 14, saying, The Word became flesh. The message took on human form. The message is a person. The message is God. And He dwelt among us. Literally, He tabernacled among us. It's a reference back to the Old Testament when, when um, God's presence dwelled in the center of the camp among His people. And it, it, he, he dwelled in the tabernacle. And Jesus is that that living tabernacle before us. And John writes, We have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, the only one, the unique one. Jesus is the unique shining forth of the uniqueness, of the holiness of God. He perfectly reveals the Father to us because He is the only Son. 
He perfectly reveals God to us because he is God. And notice the heart of what he reveals at the end of verse 14. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Second point, the heart of God's message to us in Christ is abundant, liberal, overflowing grace. The heart of God's message to us in Christ is abundant, liberal, overflowing grace. And I don't mean the word liberal in the sense that it makes some of y'all nervous, okay? So y'all calm down, all right? Uh, but I mean liberal in the sense that um, the original sense of the word meaning generous, meaning free from the restraint. God lavishes his grace on us. He longs to lavish his grace on us. It says he is full of grace and truth, full of grace, full of loving kindness and goodwill, full of unmerited favor. God delights to bless us, delights to be kind to us and to share good with us out of his abundance. And he is full of grace and truth. What does it mean that he is full of truth? It's, it's more than he is simply full of accuracy. I mean, he is full of accuracy. He does accurately reveal the Father to us. But if something is true, then we, when we say that something is true, we, we mean that it conforms to reality. Jesus does not deny reality as he extends to us his grace and kindness. He does not deny the reality that we are wicked sinners under condemnation before a holy God. Now that re that's a reality that has to be reckoned with, and that is why Jesus has come, is to reckon things right. As verse 17 says, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. It's for, from his fullness we've received grace upon grace. You can also translate it as grace after grace. The first grace being that we receive the law showing the righteous requirements that are in place if, if we're going to have fellowship with God. And we see in the law that it's a high standard. We see that it's a standard that we all fall short of, that we fail to live up to. But then the second grace that is, is a grace of him meeting all of those requirements on our behalf. For God to be true is for God to be faithful to himself. And in Christ, he does not deny himself. He does not deny the righteous requirements that are required for fellowship with him. But he meets them for us in Christ. Christ living a life of no sin. And then dying for us for our sins. Coming to God to... to Christianity, you can say, it is exclusive. It is exclusive. But it is the most inclusive exclusivity you could imagine. Notice these verses paired together. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, No one comes to the Father except through me. But then he says in John 16, 37, that any who would come to me, any who would come to me, I will in no way cast you out. Jesus says, come. In Matthew 11, he says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, my good authority, 
and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And who is, who is Jesus gentle to? Who does he deal gently with? Hebrews 5.2 says this, says he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. He knows what it's like to be human and to be tempted. He was tempted in every way that we are and yet he did not sin and so he, he can deal gently with us in our ignorance and our wayward, waywardness. As Dane Ortland explains um, in a book that some of us read, Ignorant and wayward is not a way of describing two kinds of milder sinners while we, um, you know, cordoned off from the major sinners. But it's the writer's way of including everyone. There were two basic types of sins in the Old Testament. There were willful, willful sins, deliberate sins, and there were unwillful sins. There were accidental, unintentional sins. And so the writer here is saying, regardless of your sin... Regardless of your sin, if you come to me, then I will deal gently with you. I will forgive you, and I will elevate you to the status of son. Dane Ortland says, what, elicit tender, what elicits tenderness from Jesus is not who we are, what we've done, the type of sin we've committed, but whether or not we come to him. And if you come to him, he doesn't cast you out. And the verse here says that he is full of grace and truth. I want to read to you from Ephesians 1. I just want you to hear the generosity in these verses. I want you to notice the fullness from which God gives, the overflowing joy with which he delights to lavish his love on us and the great bounty he gives. Notice here all the gifts given and notice who enables God to give them. Ephesians 3, up on your screen, it says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God the Father loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family, by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. By bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And then notice the joy in which he gives it. It says, this is what God wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace that he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us, along with all wisdom and understanding. And yet, there's more. Notice all these gifts that are given, and yet there's more. You know, God gives us many wonderful gifts in Christ, and the one we probably speak of most often is, is forgiveness of our sins, but but forgiveness even is for a purpose. He doesn't just forgive us so that we can go off and do our own thing, right? He forgives us for this purpose. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. 
that he might bring us to God. God cannot deny himself. He cannot deny the truth. He cannot deny reality that he is the greatest gift that he could give to us. And God holds nothing back in giving to us himself. And so third and final point, the crown or the the highest part, the best part of Christ's gift of grace is union with himself, being joined to him, being united with him, and eternal communion or fellowship within the Holy Trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He gives us union with himself. He unites us with him and so that when he dies, we die. When he's raised to new life, we are given new life and we are given his righteousness because we've been united to Christ. And in that union with Christ, we have the gift of eternal communion with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's, there's language of eternity all over this passage saying, in the beginning of, was the Word. The Word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. John the Baptist cries out, you know, he who who um, comes after me, ranks before me, because he was before me. And in John 1.18, you know, forever Jesus has been near to the Father at his side and his bosom. All that to say, for all eternity, God has been planning this. For all eternity, he has been longing to give us himself. For all eternity, the Father has been beholding and adoring his Son. Enjoying the radiance of his own glory shown forth in the image of his Son. And for all eternity, the Son has beheld his Father and enjoyed his Father in praise. And God created us that we might get in on this. That we might know him and enjoy him too. Jesus came to redeem us for this purpose, to bring us back in on this, to restart the unfolding of this plan. I love the way Michael Reeves puts it. He says, The Father so loves His Son that His deepest heart is to have more children like His beloved Son and then to love us with the same power and eternal affection with which He's always loved His Son. And He says, The Son's deepest delight is to share this great love of the Father that He has always known. I was going to um, to work to unfold this for you guys, but... Um, I confess I got a little behind in the devotion, but I caught up on it today, and I read three, the last three days today, and, and um, you guys basically explained it for me. So I'm just going to put it up on the screen, just some quotes from you guys. But as John, John says, John Lockbaum, <laughs> not the Baptist, not, well, you are a Baptist, but, you know, anyway, okay. As John Lockbaum said, God just wants your heart, and he has given everything to get it. That's the reason why a son was given. Catherine quoted from the message from, from Ephesians 1.6, God wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift giving by the hand of his beloved son. There's been this eternal dance, this eternal dance of love, the father adoring the son, the son adoring the father, and, and God longs for us to enter into that celebration by Jesus. Catherine also quoted from Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. For what purpose? So that we might receive adoption as sons. And then care, 
repeatedly told us this morning, and Kara, I, I needed you to say it over and over again for me to get it, but Kara said repeatedly, we have a God who wants to give us good things. He gives us his best. He gives us his best up front. God wants a relationship with you. God wants you to have a relationship with him. And he unites us with the Son for that purpose, that we might know him. How do we respond to all of this? We simply receive it. When someone holds out a gift to you of this magnitude, you simply open it up and receive it. And as John 1.12 promises, all who receive it become children of God, reborn children. If you are not a child of God, why keep resisting? Do you, do you really think that you're going to find better out there on your own as an orphan? Why keep resisting the Father's love? For those of you who are already children of God, as Cousin Eddie says, it's just a gift that keeps on giving, Clark. It's just, there is more to unfold here. And the, 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 unlike that which Clark was longing for, this is of real substance. This is deeper. As Paul says, oh, the depths of the riches of God. Let's pray. God, who can do your name justice? God, what grace you have poured out on us. We see in Christ that you are a God who is full of grace and truth. And your heart is to pour out on us grace upon grace upon grace. God, would you just identify in us where we, would, um, where we are resisting your grace where we are insisting on acting like the orphans that we used to be, trying to do it ourselves and failing miserably. God, would, would you help us to know you as the kind Father that you are? May we see the infinite worth of the gift that you've given in giving us yourself, and we see, may we see the infinite cost that Jesus paid, showing how much he longs to give us this great gift. And let us receive it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.